You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Phil, thank you. I get very dry, so I've got my front row that always like, you got wire? So, thank you. Uh, yes, this week uh, we are continuing in foundations, these foundational principles that Jesus communicated to us through the Sermon on the Mount, um, what we're specifically looking at that right now. And this particular topic was actually a bit of a challenge to approach because a lot of the things we've been talking about, whether it be coveting or anger or being salt and light or um, our purpose or being anxious about things, they kind of happen around. Or you could look at somebody and go, I, you know, I don't know. Do you, I, I bet you struggle with murderous thoughts. <laughs> it's, it, there's not things that you can really just apply on everybody all the time. You don't just get that feeling about people. But after looking at this topic and doing a lot of research, particularly about what's going on right now, basically everybody struggles with this almost all the time. It, it's really hard to preach on something that you know most likely the vast majority of your audience is either currently struggling with or has had a real big struggle with it in the past. And this morning, we're talking about lust. We're talking about um, how God approaches sexual sin. And there's an interesting dichotomy that goes around in our culture is it's a bit taboo to talk about it and to address it, yet it's in your face everywhere you go. And so we have this where it's getting more and more in your face, worse and worse, but it's not okay to talk about it. And so Jesus talked about it, the Bible addresses it, and we're not going to shy away from it. We're going to approach it in an appropriate manner. It's not going to be explicit, but it's going to be honest. And so I'm going to dive in right away with what Jesus had to say on this out of Matthew 5. There's two parts to this, and I added a third from Proverbs. Out of Matthew 5, starting in verse 27, it says, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is the sin. This is the issue. But Jesus has a solution for all of us, a solution that everyone's going to be real excited about. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be going to hell. That's pretty drastic. That gives a, a visceral feeling within when you consider, do I actually do that? But we have to realize that Jesus spoke in parables in allegory. He didn't mean everything literally. He wanted you to take it seriously. Because we noticed with his disciples, there wasn't a bunch of accounts of them gouging out eyes and cutting off hands. It's a measure of seriousness that we're meant to take with this subject. It requires a radical response from us. If we want to be able to deal with it in the way that God expects, it requires radical response. And so all of this, everything Jesus said was based out of the teachings of the Old Testament. He's, re, he's simply reiterating it for people in a way that he's hoping they can understand this time around because it was always there in the first place. And so there's a warning to us out of Proverbs 5, a warning of consequence if we're not going to listen to this. If we're not going to listen to his wise words, there's a challenge that's going to come into your life. It says out of Proverbs 5, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. 
that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol, which is the Hebrew word for the grave. It's going to be tempting. It's going to look so good. Her lips drip with honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. It's going to seem wonderful. It's going to seem like something you want, something you desire. It's, It's out there and it's available and I can have it. And the warning is against it. It leads to death. It leads to pain. It leads to sorrow. It leads to a turning away from God when we don't listen to the wise instructions that God has laid out before us. So we're going to start out here by defining it. What is sexual sin? What does the Bible say to this? What does it say? How does it say we need to address this? The first area of this is called adultery. Adultery is having um, physical intimacy with someone other than your spouse. So if you're married and you're with anyone other than your spouse and you're physically intimate, you are committing adultery. It's as simple as that. It's meant to be between you and your spouse and no one else. Out of, the book, out of Leviticus 20, verse 10, it says, If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. And I considered this. There are several things within the law that God required a death sentence for, if you were to do. And with that consideration, that to do this means that it was so bad, you need to be removed from the planet. There should be a weight to that. That shouldn't be something we take lightly. God instituted such a severe consequence in hopes that no one would ever do this because of the pain that it causes, the division between people, the division between families, the division between unities that occurs when people participate in this particular sin. And then we move on to, well, what is sexual immorality then? Because that's adultery, but sexual immorality is listed differently than all of that. It's a real vague term that really encompasses everything else. It's meant to be between a husband and wife. So if you're not married, and you participate in any way, that's sexual immorality. If you go into Leviticus 20, I just read verse 10, it lists all the way to verse 21, lots and lots and lots of different ways that are not appropriate. It's trying to encompass that there isn't any exception here. This is meant to be between husband and wife. Out of 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 2, it says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. God has a good design. God has instilled within us this desire to be fruitful and multiply, and he has created a way for that to happen well. I'm going to repeat a lot of times in this sermon, God's good plan, his good design within humanity. He has designed us to come together. He has blessed us to be fruitful and multiply. And the way this is meant to happen is within the covenant of marriage. A lot of times people say confines. Confines sounds too much like prison. So not the confines of marriage, but between the covenant of marriage, a good thing that God has instilled for all of humanity. The challenge comes when we abuse God's good design, when we don't handle it the way that he intended for it to be handled. So that brings us on to lust. 
Now, lust isn't an action. The other two are action items. We can consider, well, if I just don't do those things, then I'm good. But Jesus didn't stop there because that's the, that's the heart of a law is just actions. But Jesus said, no, we were, we were never after just actions. God has always been after the heart of mankind. God has always wanted us to desire to be more like him, not just to listen to rules. It's easy enough to follow a rule. I mean, if we really just set our mind to it, we can follow the rule to not commit adultery, to not steal, to not murder, to not do this, to not do that. We can follow the rule if you set your mind to it, but that doesn't mean your heart is there. And God is after each and every one of our hearts to be after him. Out of 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 5, it says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. We are, we are no longer the, under the old covenant of the law. It's no longer just follow the rule and this is how it works. We are under the covenant of grace. We're under the blood of Jesus. We have his redeeming act on the cross to sanctify us, to bring us into right relationship with the Father. And that is honestly, if we address it appropriately, so much harder than the law because you yourself have to go before God and you have to spend time with him and you have to see what he says to you and you have to listen to him and you have to follow his wise instructions for you. And he's after your heart within this. He wants you to desire him and to desire his ways. And so lust, lust has always been a problem. This was written thousands of years ago when Jesus was here, and a thousand years before that, when Solomon was here, writing the Proverbs. This has always been a problem, but it has gotten increasingly worse with what is available within our culture. There's things that they had written during this time. They had it figured out then, but they didn't know what was going on. We know what's going on now. We know why this is such a struggle now, and we know why we need to handle this appropriately, or it won't get better. It's not going to get better unless we handle it with the seriousness that is conveyed. And so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about what we know now about this. I want to talk about desire in your brain. I want to talk about God's good plan compared to how the world is addressing this, how we are being sabotaged in our efforts, how the, the cards are really stacked against us more and more and more as time goes on. So God designed us to have relationships. He had good intentions for us, good desires for us to be together within the confines, covenant, not confines, of marriage. Matthew 19, four through six says, he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What their God, for God has joined together, let no man separate. This is the beautiful design. This is the wonderful plan that God had for humanity to be fruitful and multiply. And he created within us mechanisms to make that work 
well. Make that work effectively when we walk out the pattern and the plan. And some of these mechanisms are actually called hormones. One of those hormones I want to talk about is called oxytocin. Oxytocin is the hormone that's released in your body that promotes feelings of bondedness, trust, comfort, connection between people. When a mother nurses her child, she releases oxytocin to create a bond between her and the child. When you hug someone that you trust and you love, oxytocin is released into you to increase that bond. When you look into someone who they make you feel comfortable, they make you feel safe, oxytocin. It creates bonds between us. It allows for community, relationship, wholeness between one another. It's a wonderful thing as a part of God's plan. The second one we're going to talk about is called dopamine. This is what makes you feel good. Any time in your life you've ever felt, oh, that felt so good, that's dopamine right there. <laughs> you ate that delicious meal, and it's, oh, it's so savory, it's so sweet, it's so amazing. That's dopamine. <laughs> and the better you feel, the more the dopamine that's getting released into your system. It's the, it's the feeling that drives you to return to it, to where you tell everybody, oh, have you been, have you been down to bricks? Oh, have, you, have, you, have you had their fish and chips? Oh, they make the aioli. It's, mwah. It wants you to return because it felt good. It's your body's response to make you continue doing things that it thinks are good for you. It's a wonderful part of God's plan. Now, these two hormones are released when a husband and wife are physically intimate with each other, meaning it's causing you to deepen your bond together and cause you to desire to return to one another over and over and over again. What an excellent part of God's plan to help instill fidelity and keep us together as God desired. It's a wonderful thing. However, like all things within God's design, we can abuse it, and the abuse has caused the problem. Because those hormones are released even if you're not with your spouse. Those hormones are released even if you're not with anybody at all. We're gonna talk about why that's gonna become such a problem as we move on. So we have God's good plan, we have his intent, and then we have the world's perspective on this. And so I've looked up some recent statistics on what the world is presenting to us. Portrayals of sex and sexual relationships are prevalent in mainstream media. Analysis is estimate that sexual content appears in approximately 85% of major motion pictures, 82% of television programs, 59% of music videos, and 37% of music lyrics. What was striking to me, particularly about movies and the television, is that those statistics are from 2008 and 2004. And I don't know about you, but the television I see nowadays is so much worse than it was, than what I grew up with. I mean, when I think about what seemed risque on shows like Friends or Seinfeld or Will and Grace, that's nothing compared to what's out there now. It is so easily available to everybody. It's just gotten so much worse. And what it is, is a gradual normalization of sexual immorality. It's the world saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's good. In fact, you will have no problems. You'll only be happier if you behave like this, if you do this, if you don't listen to those old antiquated ideas. That's old news. That's, that's history. Those are, those are old prudish ideas that you don't need to listen to. You'll be so much better. It'll be so much greater. Your life will be so much more fulfilled if you listen to us. 
And 2 Peter 2 has a response to this in exactly what they're saying. It says, For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. This was 2,000 years ago they wrote that. They had it figured out then for exactly what we're seeing right now. Loud boasts of folly. Trying to make sure everyone else vindicates their actions, their choices, their desires. They want to be affirmed. They want to feel like what I'm doing is okay. I don't want anybody to tell me what I'm doing is bad because that feels bad. So I need to have everyone else think that it's okay. But out of Proverbs 7, God has a different, a different idea on how we should approach this. It says, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. And with her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces his liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, it does not know. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O oh sons, listen to me. And be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low. And all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, to the grave. Going down to the chambers of death. The Bible warns us that to follow this path, to normalize sexual morality leads to conflict, pain, and a turning away from God. And I want you to consider, if, you've, if you had this in your past, this is without condemnation. That's not what this is about. This is about awareness and understanding and moving forward in Christ. Very good. Very good. That if you've had any of this kind of this interactions in the past, you've had multiple relationships or whatever it might be, are you glad you did? Do you feel your life is happier for the broken relationships that were, took place? For any multiple partners? For whatever might have occurred did it end with joy? Or did it end with some sort of conflict, some sort of pain, some sort of questioning of God? I looked out throughout the scriptures and I even considered the times where people stayed together forever, but they still were outside of God's design. Polygamy isn't really God's intent. He wanted one man, one woman. But we see countless times in the scriptures, well, they, they had all sorts of wives. Do you read those stories? <laughs> They, they did not, they don't, they don't end happily. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of crisis. There's a lot of pain involved. And many, many times it's recorded because of the multitude of spouses they had, they ended up turning from God. We need to stick to God's good plan, to God's good design. Otherwise, we are setting ourselves up to be the Proverbs 7 man. Now, the second issue, the one is the normalizing of sexual morality. The second issue is the normalizing of lust itself through the over incredible amount of access to explicit material that is out there now. So much all over the place, and the barriers for entry have been torn down. It's made it more easy to access than ever and keep it unknown. Through the advent of the internet, through the advent of the smartphone, all great tools excellent tools to be used appropriately. 
And the most recent one that has come along is incognito web browsing. In case you haven't heard of this, this is something on Google that you, or actually many services as well, I won't just blame it on Google. <laughs> you turn it on and it forgets everything you're going to do until you turn it off. What could possibly be the purpose for that? I've heard a few people like throw different things out over time. Like, well, it could be for this, it could be for that. You just kind of give the long stare and go, yeah. It has made it so much easier to keep the sin in the dark. And because of this, because of these things, it has gotten worse and worse and worse. From my generation below, it has been, it, the, the statistics are so much, hor- so much worse than they've ever been. A Barna Group survey found the following. The percentage of men in each age group who view pornography, illicit images, at least once a month. So this is the outworking of lust, letting it consume you and acting upon it. 18 to 30-year-olds, 79%. This is at least once a month. 31 to 49-year-olds, 67%. 50 to 68-year-olds, 49%. To look at those in a different light, the 18 to 30-year-olds, it's 4 out of 5. 31 to 49-year-olds, it's 2 out of 3. And 50 to 68-year-olds, it's 1 out of 2. Several times a week, 63%. 38 percent, 25 percent. The people of my generation, those that are younger, if you know anybody that's under the age of 35, they have struggled or they are struggling. It's one or the other. There aren't anybody, essentially, that's not going to have some sort of struggle with this, some sort of challenge, something to overcome. Now, the thing to consider Remember those hormones I spoke of and how they release whether or not you are with anybody. And what they do is they cause you to bond and cause a desire to return. What are you bonding to? What are you desiring to return to? It's not a person. It's a fantasy. It's something that isn't real. What happens when you finally meet somebody you do want to be with forever, that you do want to have the covenant of marriage with, what happens then? Your brain has already been trained that that person is not your first love. And it will long for your first love. It's wired into you to do this. Now, God is amazing and he heals. We are designed to be repaired. And we will pray for you if you are in this place right now. You don't, you don't have to shout it from the rooftops. You can come and tell someone privately. We will pray for your healing from this. And sometimes God delivers instantaneously. I know a couple of accounts of that, that this does happen. He can give you immediate freedom from this. But I have prayed for people enough times that have not been healed instantaneously to know that God has other designs for some of us to walk out the wisdom he has in Scripture to walk out the wisdom of sometimes it's going to take time. You're going to have to take the steps to allow your brain to heal. And it's going to require a radical response like Jesus told us. 
but we can't, we can't put this aside. We can't say, well, this isn't really happening to us, but if I know someone who's out there in the world, I'll, I'll help them. The Freedom Fight, which is a book that we went through, it's a great study if you know anybody that's struggling with this. The Freedom Fight recently conducted a survey of over 750 Christian college men from 30 campuses across the country. 89% are watching at least occasionally. Six in 10 weekly. Those same campuses, they interviewed 550 Christian women. 51% at least occasionally. It's affecting everybody, no different from within the church as from without. We can't assume that our people are the exception, that we are the exception. We have to treat it seriously as God wants us to treat it seriously. And we can't act like it'll just be, well, when you're adult, then I'll have the talk. Based on available data, the likely age of first exposure is in the tween years. That's 11, 12, and 13. It's the likelihood of very first exposure. The majority of kids by 13, some as young as seven. But no matter how young, it's not an isolated incident. It's not just a rare space. It's not just in that state. Across the U.S., 89%, I think it's 84% of boys by the time they're 18 will have had some sort of exposure. 57, 57% of girls. Now, why is this such a big issue? And it has to do with that, that one particular hormone, dopamine. Dopamine causes you desire to return. It's the direct problem with addiction. So if anybody has ever had methamphetamine or cocaine or heroin, those things aren't addictive because of what they are. They're addictive because of what they do in your body. They release immense amounts of dopamine. Heroin more than anything else in the world. It's double the next highest thing. To such an extent that it causes the rest of your life to feel pale by comparison which is why it's almost impossible for people to get off of heroin. If you know somebody that's struggling with that, don't judge them for that. They're fighting something you have no idea what they're walking through. What happens with this? It is the highest, um, when there is actually viewing of illicit images, it's the highest dopamine release for the longest time out of anything on this earth. They're addicted. They're addicted like any other drug. We have to address it soon before the pathways get set in their minds. The sooner it's addressed, the easier the healing. It takes longer, the longer the healing. Just like anything else that causes us harm. When we address it right away, the process is easier. And when this, hap when this happens, the reason it's so hard is because it breaks down your ability to exercise self-control. So, a little bit of background about your brain. When you are born, everything operates here in the back. It's called your limbic system. It controls emotions. It controls fight or flight. It controls pleasure versus pain. It's very important that we start with that because it keeps you alive. It's meant to take over in intense situations where you don't need to be thinking, you need to be moving. That's why when people, when they hear something loud, they immediately get down. They don't think, that was loud. Should I get down? No, they immediately respond. That's your limbic system taking over the way God designed. It's a good thing. That's also what takes over when you 
just indulge in pleasure and whatever it might be. And when you allow yourself to just be overcome by this again and again and again and again, it strengthens. And up here, which is called your prefrontal cortex, which is reasoning, logic, sound decision-making, weakens. And you've created ruts in your brain. That means that whenever a pleasure comes along, I get to do the thinking now. The more you do that, the stronger it gets. Which is why you know, I'm sure you know of somebody, maybe it's you, that has fought against this for years and years and years and they'll go for months, maybe six months at a time and they'll be good and then they succumb. Why did I do that? Because that rut that you dug long ago, we have to take a radical response. We can't just try harder. We have to start listening to what God said we should do. How we should rely upon things, how we should change patterns. Not so you're doing more work, but so you're doing smarter work. Out of Proverbs 5.15, it says this, drink water from your own cistern. This is not talking about water. (laughs) Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. I thought when I read through this before that it was just beautiful, flowy language, but when I came across this week, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin, that is actually happening. It is happening within you. You are held by your sin that you've dug into year after year after year. So what is the solution? The solution is a radical change, a radical response. Things that you're not necessarily gonna wanna do but are best for you. Because Jesus says don't dabble, don't dance, don't toy around, do not hold fire close to your chest. You will be burned. You cannot assume you're going to be the exception. We must assume we are just like everybody else. If we can assume that, we can have a humble mindset towards that, then we can walk in a healthy manner in the way that God has desired for us, that he's laid out for us to follow. And the first thing he says is flee. Flee the temptation. Physically leave. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. We've talked about exactly how that's happening, how you're hurting your brain and often hurting others as well through the process. And so flee. If there's a a situation where you know you're going to be tempted, don't go there. If you go to a situation and suddenly you are tempted, leave. That's not always something we want to do. But God's saying it's going to require a radical response. It's going to require you to not put yourself in the spot where you know you're likely to fail. Don't put yourself in that situation. 
If you have wandering eyes and you know this about yourself, don't go to the beach right now. It is full of people that don't believe in God, don't have the same mindset of having, um, oh, I'm blanking on a really good word, modesty. Thank you. They don't believe in modesty. They don't believe in not causing others to stumble. They don't believe in dressing appropriately. They believe in their gorgeous body that they've worked really hard on and they want you to see it. It makes them feel better. Don't put yourself in that spot. For many, it's going to be simply this. Don't be alone. Don't be alone. It is striking how strong a pull that will have on a person. I don't struggle with that as much because I'm never alone anymore. (laughs) For children, you can't go anywhere by yourself. But there are the rare occasions where it does happen, where I'll get home and Emily will have taken the kids over to her sisters and it's like, I'm alone, it's so quiet, it's so amazing. And and then it pops in your mind. It's like, where did that come from? years and years and years down the road since you've had the struggle, since you've had the fight, since you've had freedom, and still that rut is there. We have to be careful. We have to be careful of situations, and when that happens, you need to have self-control of your thoughts. You need to be the one who's in charge, not the sin. Out of 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5, it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, and have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We've talked about this for three weeks now. We've talked about this with anger. We've talked about this with coveting, and we're talking about it with lust. You have to control your thoughts. You have to submit them. You have to make them obedient unto Christ. And if it's not pure, it's not something you should be dwelling on. However you do that, whether it's casting it aside, whether it's changing the station, whether it's just imagining yourself petitioning it to the Lord, whatever it takes, take control of your thoughts. Don't dwell on things we shouldn't be dwelling on. It does not lead to our highest. It does not lead to our best. It does not lead to health and purity within. In fact, it it leads to the opposite. You may have to have a device-ectomy or a media-ectomy or an internet-ectomy. An ectomy means the cutting out of something. Out of Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They have darkened They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're called to put on the new self, which becomes a, when we have new values then, new desires, new things we're pursuing, which will come with new behaviors, new ways of doing things, often challenging ways to doing things, 
Often things you might not necessarily want to do. Nobody wants to pull the internet plug out of the house. It's basically like a curse word now. No Wi-Fi? <laughs> it is possible to live without it. There's many people in this room that were alive when it didn't exist. It is perfectly possible to live without it. It's a good tool. It's been, it was an excellent invention, but like anything, if it's abused, you have to remove it. At least for the time to allow your, your brain to heal. Allow yourself to be healed by the Lord, not putting yourself in constant temptation day after day after day after day. Has, there will come a radical response that's required. And be accountable. Let somebody know. Bring it to the light, for when things are left in darkness, they remain. But when you shine light on darkness, it flees. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This is true for any sin. Find at least one person that you can, have, that you can trust with your, in your life, that you can be honest with in your life, and let them know what you're struggling through. Let them know the challenge. Bring it to light so that you can be healed and that you can rely on one another to move forward, to set these things behind you, not have them being a persistent thing day after day, year after year. God calls us to be accountable to one another, to confessing our sins to one another, not to just to tell every bad thing you've done, but to be healed from it. The prayer of a righteous man has great power in its working. Just knowing that somebody knows, knowing that someone has your highest, knowing that someone's going to give you a phone call. And this is one of those things that we can consider when we ask the question. We can assume almost everybody is struggling with this. You can make that assumption. I know it's awkward to look around. It's like, is it you? Is it you? (laughs) Just to assume on some degree the answer to that question is yes. So we don't ask the question, are you? We ask the question, how are you walking, working through this? We can assume you have some level of struggle in this. How are you doing? How can I pray for you? The level will be different for each and every one of us. How can I pray with you through this? How can I help you with this? And if, if just one person, if that's that accountability, if that doesn't seem like enough, there are actually accountability groups like, for, like there is for anything that people are addicted to. We have several groups that meet here. We don't broadcast them loudly, but they exist. And if you feel like you need some extra help walking through this, you need um, men and women that are right there with you to support you and love you, contact one of the elders. We will get you connected with those groups. But be accountable. Be honest with ourselves. Because the very last thing I want to say is we need to be humble. We need to realize that we do need help walking through this. We do need to rely on the Lord, that we don't just have this handled. It's not just going to fix itself. The world is probably not going to suddenly turn on its head and go, yeah, let's not have any of that anymore. Realize what's out there. Be humble. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, 
seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of struggles are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Would you stand with us?